Something dark and something creepy. Death. It's the subject we are all afraid of, but can't know enough about. What do we get from it? And how does it affect the living? God says he's controlling everything, but is he? And I also have the top five albums you should be listening to. In a world with no sound, their cries go unheard. The reality of life becomes totally absurd. The counting of time is considered a crime, and the money one earns not worth a lone dime. But here they will lie for the rest of the night. Their bodies remain still in darkness and in light. But don't be afraid, or it will happen to you. Then all will stop as your body burns blue. gothic side of life. I am your funeral guide, Glenn Lee Allen Davis. Now, unfortunately, I think today's show is going to be a bit of a bummer because we're going to be touching on a sad subject, death, something nobody wants to face, but we have no choice. And with this, I want to make a sad announcement is that my dad just recently passed away a couple of weeks ago. So I want to talk about it as much as I can. I may break down trying to explain this, so stay tuned for that, since we all get some kind of joy out of other people's suffering. But at the same time, I think it's important to be honest and open with my emotions, because you may be going through the same thing. You may be able to relate. It's hard to imagine still that he's gone, because... We live in a different state, so we don't see each other every day. We don't talk all the time, maybe once a month or so. But we, you know, we've always had a good relationship. There's no animosity towards one another like there are in other families. One thing that I've always appreciated is that he's always accepted me for who I was since I was pretty much the black sheep of the family. I was always kind of the outsider, being uh, an atheist, being you know, I guess into weird music when everyone else in the family was kind of along the same lines. I was the one who stepped out of bounds. But when it came down to it and I wanted to make choices for myself, he allowed me to do that. When it came to religion and everyone else wanted me to go to church, he was the first one to say, well, you know, you're old enough to make your own decision, so it's up to you. If it's not what you believe, it's not what you believe. You do what you want. 
that's something that as a kid, you know, a teenager, it gives you mental freedom and it doesn't cause any uh, repression. To give a little bit of a backstory, uh, my parents got divorced when I was about five years old and I went to live with my mom. My brother and I live with my mother who unfortunately was suffering from schizophrenia, uh, multiple personalities for which not many people knew at the time. My dad certainly wasn't aware of how bad it was that she would hear voices in her head and take it out on my brother and I. As you can imagine, dealing with something like that, by the time I was 12, 13 years old, I was pretty much a fucked up kid. You know, I, I pretty much had, uh, I was on the wrong path. I was, you know, at 12 years old, I was pretty much left on a Friday to go hang out with my friends and didn't come home until Monday. And the only reason I showed up for school is because my grandmother had scared me into thinking that if I didn't go to school, that the truant officer was going to come and put me in jail. So that's the only reason. But other than that, I just pretty much took off. I was out of control. My grandmother couldn't control me. My mom just sat on the couch and smoked cigarettes and laughed to herself and talked to herself. So she was unaware of my existence. And so, you know, at 12, 13 years old, I was pretty much snorting everything in sight, getting stoned, partying all weekend long with my friends. And then it wasn't until I failed the seventh grade, I failed pretty much every class except for shop. Well, because I, I, I built a pretty badass fucking napkin holder. So that gave me a D, but I didn't go to class really. I didn't pay attention. I was ditching school to go get stoned with my friends. And so, you know, I got all F's. And when my dad found that out and realized what the position I was in, he stepped in and said, okay, yeah, he needs a father figure in his life. And he came and got me and I went to go live with him in Modesto, California. And, you know, from there, he pretty much instilled in me the difference between right and wrong and what to do and what not to do. And, and you know, and from there I became a straight A student. I realized I was actually smart but I was still fucked up. So I think that's uh, not to say that just because you get into weird music or anything, you have to be fucked up, but I definitely had a skewed version of the world. And if it wasn't for him bringing me back, let's just say that the other two friends that I hung out with, one of them's in a wheelchair and the other one's dead. So certainly I could have gone down that path had, had it not been for him. So I, just for that reason alone, I'm eternally grateful my dad was a great guy. He always shot straight with me. He told me the truth. If he didn't like something, he told me. But at the same time, if if he thought that I knew best for myself, he would, you know, he would let me be who I wanted to be. You know, uh, when I started wearing black clothes at 14 years old and he said, oh, it's just a phase, you know, let him do it. And it wasn't a phase, but but at least he allowed me to do that and be my own person, listen to the type of music that I wanted to and not try to, to totally control me. He still had rules uh, being a father. He, he was still strict at that time. I mean, this is 30 something years ago, 35 years ago. So I don't fault him for being strict and being concerned about my well-being and making sure that I was doing the right thing and getting good grades. So my point with all this is the biggest issue is that it's really hard when something like this happens, when your, your father passes, it's really hard to be an atheist. You know, it's really hard 
to tell yourself, oh, there's no God, you know, there's nothing out there because you want so bad for the fairy tale stories to be true that, you know, that when you die, you go to some grand heaven and, you know, if anyone deserved to go to heaven, it would definitely be my dad because, you know, he raised six kids. He, you know, he did his best with what he had. And this was a man who had polio since he was 10 months old. He was one of the last people to get polio before the vaccine stopped it. But as a result of that, one of his legs was deformed and it was shorter than the other. Couldn't walk right. He walked with a limp, but that didn't stop him. He didn't give a shit. He's like, I'm going to be like everybody else. He, he hustled. He did everything as well or if not better than the people around him, people that weren't handicapped. And unfortunately, as a result of that, by deciding to walk and be like other people because he didn't want people to judge him because he didn't want people to ridicule him for being different, he ended up destroying the vertebrae in his, the discs in his back because it constantly walking with a limp, it put pressure on his back. And so by the time he was 40, he pretty much was in a wheelchair and he couldn't walk at all. And from pretty much 40 years old until his passing, he was in excruciating pain. One of the things he always used to tell us in the last 10 years or so is that, you know, when it happens, when I do die, don't, don't be upset. You know, don't be sad, even though I am, don't be sad of my passing. You should celebrate because, because it'll be the first day that I'm not in pain anymore. And my dad was a Christian. He's, you know, as much as I've talked about it before that I hate Christians, I hate Christianity in general. The individual people I don't hate so much, like obviously my father, I love him. But as much as I'm opposed to Christianity, my dad was a Christian. He, you know, he believed that he would go to heaven. And it's nice to believe that, you know, and I want to believe that. But at the same time, science and pragmatism, everything comes seeping in. And I go, well, you know, that's, that's just, uh, that's just a wonderful thing. We, we tell ourselves to feel better as sad as it is, but you know, if there is, I hope he's there and I hope he's happy now. I hope he's in a better place. You know, it's hard. It's hard fighting with your belief system. When you have a strong belief system, I guess it's the same way when you're a, a, a nut job, you know, Scientologist or something, when you're a nut job, fanatic and you believe like, let's say for instance, all the crazy shit that's going on with QAnon and shit like that. When you believe such nutty stuff, you believe it wholeheartedly. And you know, it's hard to change that way of thought. And it's the same way with me being a, a, a hardcore atheist. When something like this happens and you you're testing your faith, I guess you should say you, you're testing your belief system and you want so bad to deviate from that but you can't, you can't do it because that's your core system. And, and, you know, so in a way it helps me understand how Christians thinks. It helps me understand the way people who believe in their religion, because it's been uh, injected into their system since they were children. It's a way of life. It's a way of thought process. So to get away from that is very hard. And for me, it's the same way, just because somebody who I love dearly passed away, it's hard for me to all of a sudden go, okay, well, listen, he's in heaven now. When you hear the rest of your family, you know, on Facebook and everywhere else, and they're, you know, no disrespect to them that I certainly respect their belief, but 
coming from my point of view when I hear it and they're like, oh, he's in a better place and he's, he's in heaven, he's with God, he's doing, you know. And I know deep down in my heart that's not true. So it's definitely a struggle. It, it's, it's a struggle to understand that. And I don't know if you guys have dealt with that as well, too. If you have, you know, I would love to hear about it. And, you know, there, there's a story about my son. When my son was being born in 2007, right, my wife, you know, she went in to induce labor. It was like 10 o'clock in the morning. My son wasn't born until around 9 o'clock at night, 9.30, I think. So she was there a long time. And there was an issue with, uh, they didn't tell us directly at the time but I knew there was something wrong during labor because the doctor kept coming in and she was checking and trying to check the, uh, my son's heartbeat and the heart rate and stuff like that. And then she would leave and, you know, I could, I could sense there was something going on. So it took a long time. And in the meantime, I was, you know, I would go out to get something to eat, get something for my wife, uh, you know, make sure she was okay. So I would be going in and out and in the lobby of the hospital, there was this large group of Samoans, right? And I, no pun intended, large group. Uh, there was a lot of people out there and they were celebrating because I think uh, whoever their family member was, was giving birth as well. And they were out there playing the ukulele. They were singing. They were all happy and joyous and stuff like that. And it was, you know, it was a wonderful moment. And, you know, I would go back and forth. And every time I went out there, they were pretty much celebrating and stuff. And, uh, they were having a good time and that and rightly so, you know? And so, you know, I was appreciating that. And as the night went on, my wife had to get an epidural. And I remember in the middle of her getting her epidural, they called over the emergency. Uh, the, the doctor who was doing the epidural was called from the other room and said, Oh, somebody else needs your help as well too. And they seem kind of worried about that and stuff. So, you know, a few hours passed and my son was born and, you know, we went through the whole process. It was a wonderful thing. Uh, when they pulled him out, the umbilical cord was wrapped around his neck and he was purple. So I was freaking out a little bit, but the doctor was really good. As soon as she pulled it out, she, you know, unwrapped the umbilical cord as quickly as possible. And he breathed, he cried, everybody was happy. Once everything was over and, you know, he was safe, he was healthy all that stuff. And then, uh, the, you know, around 10 o'clock that night, I went to go home while my wife was in the hospital, to go grab some extra things just for a couple hours and come back. And as I left into the waiting room, that large group of people were no longer singing. They were all crying. They were upset. They were hugging each other. And so at that point, you realize that obviously their child didn't make it. Mine did, but theirs didn't. And so when I got to the car, I kind of broke down a little bit thinking, holy shit, you know what, who the fuck makes the decision of who lives and dies? And that was, you know, because when your son is born, you really want to believe in God. And you want to say, oh, thank God, you know, he, he brought this wonderful life to me, but yet he took it away from somebody else who was a very happy family, you know, and you think, well, shit, maybe they deserve, their child deserves to live more than mine. Is that possible? I don't know. And shit like that goes on in my head. And I think, you know, and it's really discerning. And, and you come to this realization that, no, fuck that. You know, what kind of sick fucking God, sick fucking religion 
would allow that to happen. If you have control, if you're a God and you create the human humanity and you create human beings and your image and your greatness as it's written in so many Bibles, but yet you allow them to suffer, yet you allow them to pick and choose who lives and who dies by, again, these are by the words of Christianity and the words by religion that God is the one. I didn't say this. I'm not making this up. I'm not saying whether God does something or not. This is their words. They're the ones that say, oh, God chooses who lives and who dies. And if he chooses who lives and who dies by those that are Christians and those that are faithful, then by that rationale, my son should have died and their son should have lived because they looked like they were a happy Christian family. They were very, you know, I could see that they were wearing crosses and stuff like that. And they were very, they were singing uh, um, religious hymns. And yet I'm a fucking devil worshiping Christian hating atheist and my son is perfectly healthy. So what fucking sense does that make? If, if you're going by the laws of God, if you're going by the rationale that God choose picks and chooses those that are derived by Satan and those that are derived by God, why then am I blessed, if you want to call it that, with good fortune and the other people around us are not? Like we have a neighbor down the street. She's a very nice lady. And she's dying of cancer. She's been dying of cancer for the last, I think, six or seven years. It's slow, but they can't find any cure for it. And this is, she's the nicest lady in the world, but she reads the Bible front to back on a yearly basis. Constantly, she goes to church all the time. She worships, she, long before she had cancer, I'm sure. And yet she has to suffer. And again, you reference me, I'm a fucking son of a bitch to God. I've told God to fuck off. I've told the Holy Spirit that can, you know, I denounce the Holy Spirit. I don't give a shit about that stupid ass religion. I respect the people that believe it, but I don't respect the foundation of it. And yet here I am healthy, healthy as I can be. Who knows? I may drop dead tomorrow. And the other people that give their lives to religion suffer. And then I think again about my dad who, you know, he wasn't, a hardcore Christian or anything like that, but he was a good man. He did what was right. He helps people out when he has the chance to help people out. He was 72 years old in his passing, you know, which is still a good life. I mean, for him, it's a great life because they were expecting him not to live past 40 because of his condition. And the fact that he was in pain all the time and that finally he doesn't have to be in pain anymore. And it's again, so to say that there is some kind of ruler or some kind of, when people explain their religion, whether it's the Quran or Judaism or whatever, whatever it is, they all say that God is all knowing, all controlling, even the Vikings, you know, Valhalla, uh, Odin has already uh, mapped out your life. That's the way it is. There's, there's nothing around that. And so to say from their perspective that there is somebody controlling everything, there is somebody that either gives or denies you the right to live or die, or the right to suffer or to be prosperous, to me is utterly ridiculous. And there's no better explanation for that than death itself. And you'll hear people say, well, God works in mysterious ways. He gives and he takes and he blah, blah, blah. Whenever you, they can't fucking explain something, they give you this bullshit answer. But then when they want you to not get an abortion or they want you to fucking do something, that's to their 
strict liking, then all of a sudden they know everything. They know exactly what God wants. God doesn't want you to do this. God doesn't want you to have long hair. God doesn't want you to bite your fingernails. But when you ask the really tough questions, well, how come this person died and that person, that serial killer got to live? Why is that? Oh, God works in mysterious ways. He has his reasons. Oh, so because Jeffrey Dahmer ate tons of people, but then he repented his last years in jail, he gets to go to heaven with everybody else, with my dad? He's at the same level? I mean, you're telling me that's fucking right? You can't tell me that's fucking right. That as long as you give your life and say, oh, Jesus, I love you, Take this prayer. I keep seeing that fucking commercial every since the, the pandemic with that fucking Billy Graham, Franklin Graham piece of shit on there. Uh, if you're doing lots of things and, and you're having sex and doing drugs and your life is a mess, then give your life to Jesus and he knows what you want. No, fucking Jesus doesn't know what you fucking want. You want him to think that so you can control him. And that's what pisses me off about religion. That's what pisses me off about death. Because no matter what you say, I don't give a shit if you have a near-death experience and people, you know, I, I was watching this show about near-death experiences and people explain how they saw this bright light or they saw it felt the warmth of people around them. And yeah, that's your brain rebooting. That's your brain who has an amazing ability to not only figure out patterns, but to make you see things in a way that keeps you from suffering. So when you're in a near-death situation and your body is shutting down and you need to recover, it puts you in a place to make you feel safe so you don't panic because your body can't handle the panic. If you knew what was going on, if you knew that you were dying and somebody said, hey, there's nothing out there, motherfucker, you're dying right now. You ain't going to feel shit. All you're going to feel is pain and suffering. Well, gee, do you think your body would recover? No. It would freak out and you would go into a seizure and it would be worse. So your brain is smart enough to pick and choose the things that you think about, the things that you feel most comfortable with, whether it's family members, whether it's Jesus, whatever your core belief system is, your brain is going to function in a way to make you feel safe so you can recover, so your body can be brought back to life if it uh, needs to be resuscitated or if it needs to repair itself. It's going to put you in a state like a coma. That's why they induce comas to help you repair your body. And so when people say they have these near-death experiences, they have these uh, out-of-body situations where they can see themselves lying in the bed, your brain does that to help you cope with your situation. Because if you knew the truth that your leg is missing or your, your arm is cut off or you're, you know, you're drowning, for 30 minutes, it would freak out if it knew the truth. So it puts you in a state of relaxation. And think about when you say, when they say, oh, I see a bright light, I see a, a bright shining light. What does every hospital do when you go on the operating table? What does every emergency situation do when somebody comes? They shine a bright ass light into your eyes to see if you're coherent. They shine a bright ass light over you so they can see what they're doing when they're operating on you. So of course you're going to see a bright ass shining light on your deathbed or when you're being brought back to life. That's what you're going to remember because it's in the process of you shutting down and rebooting. And I know for some people that's a lot to comprehend. It's much easier to believe 
somebody's controlling everything. Why do you think these people follow cults? Why do you think there's so many fucking QAnon people out there? Because they don't want to be in control of their lives. They don't want to fucking have responsibilities and shit. It's too much to handle to realize that no matter what you do in life, your life is completely meaningless. That's a hard concept to grasp. Waking up every morning knowing that no matter what you do, no matter how many people you help, or no matter what situation you're in, after you die, unless you're Mozart or Beethoven or something, in a hundred years from then, nobody's going to give a fuck who you are. Nobody's going to remember you. Your life is completely pointless and meaningless. Now think about having that knowledge and then still having the strength to wake up every morning, face the world and say, you know what? I love life. You know what? Even though I know there's no meaning to my life, there's no Jesus waiting for me in the sky. There's no devil waiting to party with me in the underground. But you know what? I'm still going to do the right thing. I'm still going to treat people with respect. I'm still going to do things within the confines of the law. And I'm going to enjoy my life. But usually with religion, it's, it's the exact opposite. People go crazy and they party, they do drugs, they treat people like shit, they rob, they steal, they kill, and then they go, oh, I did all this stuff, now I got caught, you know what, I'm going to believe in Jesus. I'm born again. Woo, save me. So now, again, compare that, that attitude of doing whatever you want and repenting and being able to get away with it to somebody who knows there is no God, they know that there is no existence after your death, but yet you still move on. You still find a way to be happy, to be the best person you can be. Now you tell me who has more strength. And that's why you have cults. That's why you have QAnon, because these people don't want to face the reality of life. So they need somebody to tell them what to do. They need somebody to show them the right way. And if God or Jesus is telling you the right thing to do, which, you know, that's the premise of it. And that's wonderful. But unfortunately, it's corrupt by man. And man takes advantage of that. Any man with power will manipulate those that follow him for their own gain. And that's what's happened, happening now with all these people who believe in this weird, crazy shit. Some of my friends are on that same fringe bullshit. And it's sad to see them be that way. But I still accept them for who they are, you know. But it's sad to see people without the intelligence to realize that the dumb bullshit they believe in is not the truth. And I'm not trying to be sarcastic or mean about it. Again, this is my belief system, but my belief system is based on facts and knowledge. It's not based on faith and fairy tale. That's the big difference. And you could say, oh, well, that's your belief system and that's what you believe, then that's, you know, uh, that's fine. That's for you, but you can't force it onto other people. And I'm, and I'm not here to force it on anybody, but I'm here to tell you that this is based on fact. Just because you see a specific color on somebody, that doesn't mean that it's a sign from fucking God that you're going to play, should play the lotto and then win a million dollars. Because that shit's unrealistic. And that's why you should always be thankful and grateful of your life. And that's why I'm grateful for my life, because I assume there's nothing else after it. To the best of my knowledge, with all the facts that I have, I can only assume that there is no God. There may be a creator of the universe and some weird uh, 
esoterical in some weird multi-universe fashion, but that doesn't mean there's somebody controlling us or telling us what to do, whether we should be good or bad or this or that. That should just be common sense. I don't need Moses to tell me not to kill somebody. It's just common sense. You don't kill somebody. Or maybe that's why I know not to kill somebody because I grew up with religion early on in my life. Who knows? And I've evolved. But in either case, religious or not religious, you should always be grateful for your life and the time that you have here because you never know when it's going to end. You know, for my dad, I just assumed he was going to live to be, you know, at least 85 or 90 or something like that. You don't think about it. You don't think about him passing until it's too late. You don't consider it because you figure, oh, he's always there. You know, when I call, I pick up the phone, I call him, he's there. And now he's not. And that's fucking sad. Though I walk through the valley of death, I will fear no evil, for I am the evilest in the valley. And just a side note, I do want to give a real quick side note here about suicide, because it's one of the things my dad and I used to discuss, especially when I first started this show about six months ago or so. Uh, actually, it's been close to a year now. Uh, but when I first started doing episodes, we were talking about it, and I told him one of the things that I want to discuss on the show is suicide and religion and things like that. And, and one of the things I took from our conversation we had, because I want to address this issue from time to time regardless. I want to do a more specific show about suicide, but every once in a while it's nice to know these little facts. Because when I was speaking with my dad, we were talking about the show, and, you know, I love him very much. I brought up the idea that, hey, I want to talk about suicide. And he said, well, one of the good things that I can tell you about is that, you know, I think about suicide a lot because he was in so much pain. And, you know, when he brought it up, and we've, we've talked about it before, but that particular time when he brought it up, I cut him off and I changed the subject, you know. And I didn't mean to. It was kind of like a knee-jerk reaction when he said, yeah, you know, I think about suicide. And I was like, okay. And then I just started talking about something else. And I could tell he was a little bit annoyed by what I said. And I could have went back to it. I could have circled back and said, oh, yeah, about your, you know, your suicide thoughts. You know, let's talk about But I didn't. I just kept going. And I could tell he was a little bit annoyed. And the reason is, is I didn't want to think about him dying at that time. You know, I didn't want to think about it. Just to let you guys know is that we've, we've had many discussions about him thinking about suicide because he was in so much pain and he just wanted the pain to stop, but he made a decision not to do that for us kids, for his children, because he knew he didn't want it to affect us. That's how much he loved us and cared about us. He wasn't thinking about himself. He, he was thinking about his children that he knew that they would, you know, it would really hurt us if he did something like that. So we have talked about it, but this particular time when I kind of blew it off, it got me thinking about, you know, other people who talk about, you know, their loved ones and how they're feeling depressed. You know, you may be the person that's that's depressed and suicidal, and you may try to talk to a member of your family. And I want you to know that it may be a knee-jerk reaction for them to blow you off. And it will be for that exact same reason, because they don't want to face the fact that you might be dead. So they may, when you say, oh, you know what, I'm feeling suicidal, I'm feeling depressed, and they go, oh, come on, Come on, give me a break. You're fine. There's nothing wrong with you. And it's not because they don't love you. It's not because they don't care about you or they don't want. So I don't want you to, when you're in a suicidal state, you think any, any person that gives you the remark that you don't want to hear, you take it as a personal offense and it 
puts you further in that depressive state and it puts you further in the, the mindset of committing suicide. And I know when you get that rejection, it makes things worse. But please, what I want you to understand is that when they do that, I'm assuming, you know, a few of you out there may just have son of a bitch fucking parents that are complete assholes. I don't know everyone's story out there. So I'm not going to assume everybody has the most wonderful life and ideal situation. But for the most part, when you bring something like that up, you have to assume that that person, they don't want to face that fact. So if you come across that and you tell somebody and you don't feel that they're giving you 100% of their attention, don't take offense to that. Don't assume that, the, oh, because they obviously want you to commit suicide because that's why they didn't give you the time of day. No, it's because they don't want to face the fact of the person they love, their child, being dead. So you want to assume that everything is fine. If my children came to me and said something, I'd be like, come on, I know you. I know you're a strong person. I know you're better than that. But in that mindset, they may not be. So give it another chance. If you talk to somebody and they don't take you seriously, give it another chance or talk to somebody else. So that's just a helpful hint. Maybe that'll help some people out there. But in the end, I just want to say that death is tough to deal with. I love my dad very much. I didn't want him to, to see him go. I did get a chance to say goodbye to him over the phone. And that's another fucked up thing is because of COVID, we couldn't drive down there. We couldn't go down to see him. So we just had to say goodbye, which was really fucking hard because I didn't know what to say because you're in a situation. It's like, what do you say? Do you say, okay, get better when you know he's not and you can't say, hold on because you don't want him to suffer anymore. Hold on, dad, stay in there. Don't, don't give up because you, you know, you can't do that when he's in that situation. And even scarier when I was talking to him and telling him that I loved him and I cared about him. When he tried to respond, all I heard were the machines going off like, you know, so I really couldn't hear and he couldn't really talk because they did have a lot of machines hooked up to him. And you know, that's some creepy fucking shit. And you know, I hope the rest of my family's dealing with it as best they can. I'm usually the more robotic emotionless one in the family because of my black sheep streak. So I'm a little bit better at dealing with these types of things. I'm not usually a very emotional person or at least not in public or around people. I do it in my own way on my own time, but whoo. Okay. So enough of the sadness, doom and gloom, but I guess that's kind of hard to say because my whole life revolves around doom and gloom. So let's move on to something a little bit more uplifting music. All right. Let's talk about some music. Now, it's obviously no secret that I have a hard time trusting others and, of course, other people's opinions. Like, you know, my brother, for instance, when it comes to restaurants, he doesn't exactly have the best palate. I mean, he judges a restaurant on how good it is based on the amount of food you get for the money you spend. But when it comes to music, he's a fucking genius. So there's no other person I would trust to turning me on to new sounds than my brother, Eric. And that's why I'm bringing you Eric's top five albums you should be listening to. Take it away, Eric. If you've been hiding away like the rest of us and bored out of your fucking skull, not knowing what to listen to, tired of the same old bands you have in your playlist, then I've got the solution for you. Welcome to Eric's top five albums. These are absolutely the best five albums you will hear in all of eternity. I guarantee it or your money back. Spotify does not give refunds for bad taste in music, but you'll love these. 
I love them, and you'll love them too. At number five, I got Triptychon Requiem live at Roadburn 2019 with the Metropole Orchestra. This album is live. It's very goth in the sense that it's got a crushing funeral doom-like vibe to it. It kind of reminds me of The Cure's 17 Seconds, but just uh, on a whole different level. Amazing musicianship. Get it with the Blu-ray so you can watch the concert. At number four, of course I gotta throw in Depeche Mode. But my favorite album, and it's a collection, it's the greatest hits album, is the singles, 86 to 98. At number three, I'm going with Karak Angren, their album Frankensteiner Stratomontanus. Very Tim Burton uh, horror movie soundtrack style. Just very unique. Now this album is a take on Frankenstein, which is one of my all-time favorite horror movies, especially the Boris Karloff um, 1931 classic. At number two, I have Miracur. Miracur is also known as Amelie Braun. She's a Danish artist that delves in the ponds of black metal and folk music, but to me also has a lot of gothic overtones, especially on the album, one of my favorite albums of all time, called Merit, which is spelled M-A-R-E-R-I-D-T. Make sure you get out there and get the deluxe version of this or listen to it or stream it because it's got a song on there called Death of Days. And to me, that is one of the greatest songs ever written. So get out there and get Mayakers, Marit. And my number one pick. This album needs to be in your listening rotation right now. Matter of fact, it needs to be there yesterday. Um, it's called The Blue Hour and it's by Suede. Uh, sometimes known as the London Suede. They're from the UK and they've been around since the early 90s. Uh, this is a very underrated band. Uh, this is a, their most recent release. I think it came out in 2019. A very underrated album as well. Every song is just a complete winner. There's no bad songs on this album. Every song has the most haunting and most beautiful melodies I've ever heard. It's a very dark album. It's chicken soup for the very dark soul. <laughs> the Blue Hour by Suede also known as the London Suede. Your suffering will be legendary. Check out the big brain on goth. You a smart motherfucker. Now that's some amazing music right there. And please, by all means, check those out. My personal favorite is Merker. Merker, Merker, Miker, Merker. Merker. That's it, Merker. She's like a more fucked up gothic Lana Del Rey. And if you want an easy way to hear all of these great artists, Eric has a playlist on Spotify dedicated to the albums mentioned. Eric's Ominous Discovery. Go to Spotify, look up Eric, A-I-R-I-K, Eric, Ominous Discovery. Go to that playlist, check him out. You'll be blown away. I'll also put a link in the show notes as well. And now it's time for some weird news. Obviously, the whole theme of today's show is pretty much death. It's fucking all around us. You can't escape it. Fucking death. So today we're going to talk about something called saponification. And I hope I said that right. Saponification. Let's see. Saponification. Okay. Is that right? Saponification. 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 Okay. Thank you. Okay. So what happens is people intentionally use this process. It's... It's used to make soap out of like vegetable oils and animal fats. Now, typically the triglycerides and the fatty materials, they evolve into soap 
and they're used with the help of a chemical component such as like lye or sodium chloride. But what happens is, is on rare occasions, human bodies, they, if they end up in the water or in the soil, uh, in the right environment, uh, the enzymes, they, what they do is they take their fat and they turn it into a wax. So when the rest of the body decays, what it does is it leaves the, the skeleton covered in this thick deposits of a tan or grayish white soap. And basically they're soap mummies. That's, that's what it is. You know, the bodies, they convert fat, the, the fat deposits into waxy substance. And it's actually got a name. It's called grave wax or corpse wax. Now, to me, that's pretty fucking cool. And I don't know if you guys remember, but, you know, back many years ago, if you had science class back in the 80s, uh, they actually used to use real human skeletons. They weren't props. They weren't made out of plastic. They were real fucking skeletons, you know, uh, in your science class. And there was a rumor going around, and this is referenced in the movie Return of the Living Dead, is that these skeletons were actually farmed from bodies in India. You know, and I would imagine without the people's permission. And after it was on, the made, the reference was made on that movie, there was a big scandal or something like that in India, and they started to look into it. And then that's when they stopped using real human bodies, and they started using fake ones. I was thinking, wouldn't it be real cool to do that same thing, but then make them go through the process of making that soap from the Jane and John Doe corpses, and then they sold it on the black market or something. You know, you could process the soap off, scrape it off those bones and make them into little coffins and, you know, sell them on the dark web and shit. I mean, I have to admit, I'd probably buy that shit. I don't know if you guys would. I mean, I don't know if I would use it to clean myself. That might be taken a little bit too far. I don't want somebody's fucking creepy ass bone marrow shit on my body. I don't know how clean I would get. It's pretty fucking creepy, but it's still cool at the same time. I, would, I wouldn't mind having a little... Uh, like a figure, you know how they make uh, soap figures or wax figures or shit like that. Maybe like a, a little design made out of corpse wax. I don't know if they, maybe they do sell it. I don't know, but that's, that's really cool. So that's my creepy news for today. And hopefully you learned something because I learned something too. too, there's something I want to mention before I go. I wanted to talk about this in 2020, but I didn't get the chance uh, because of writing music and all this other shit that's going on. But one of the things that happened in 2020 that I thought was really cool is the very first horror film turned 100 years old. And I don't know if you remember what film that is. I'll give you a few seconds to think about it. Ding dong, ding dong, time's up. It's the cabinet of Dr. Caligari. It was created in 1920. One of the coolest fucking films. It's past its copyright date, so you could pretty much get it anywhere for free. And this was one of the films that I loved growing up. Uh, really creepy, especially uh, back in the uh, 90s when I was a teenager. You know, it actually inspired me to make the film that I made, The Ark of Descent, which I directed in 2001. Currently playing on my YouTube channel. If you want to check it out, shameless plug. I thought it was really cool that it turned a hundred years. That that really the the first horror film, as much as horror is a part of our lives today, 
Which, by the way, fucking horror movies have sucked lately. I don't know. I try to watch some horror movies, and they're all fucking shit. They need to fucking come up with some good horror movies. They're all stupid. The newer ones. But anyway, so this was a really cool movie. Really good inspiration. If any young people are out there listening to this and you haven't had a chance to check out The Cabinet of Dr. Caligari, please do so. Who knows? Today's By today's standards, you might be bored as fuck. It's, it's, it's based on emotion. You know, it's, it's not a fucking 10-minute jump scare to where you can just get your jollies and then move on with your life. You have to think about what's going on. You have to pay attention. You have to kind of get into the mood which I think a lot of things are lacking today. That's the big thing that's lacking in today's society is mood. There's no time for mood. There's no time for emotion to build. And it's just sad. It really is just sad. And I blame social media. And since I'm blaming fucking social media, let me make sure to be a hypocrite and tell you, do me a favor, follow me in social media, Gothic side of life, YouTube, whatever, all the fucking links. If you go to gothicsideoflife.com, all of my social media links are there. You can see the pictures I post on Instagram, my stupid thoughts, you know, Facebook. I fucking hate Facebook, but if you want to go on there, if you're probably over like 40 years old and you're on Facebook, then, you know, follow me on there. Oh, and I have a TikTok too, which I do some fucking stupid shit on TikTok. So I appreciate you guys listening to me ramble about this situation and being there for me. And I thank you for allowing me the opportunity to talk about my issues. And hopefully you guys could relate. Maybe it even helped you. If it did, I would love to hear your stories. Email me, follow this podcast. If you're not already, give me a rating, do something. If you want to help out the show, go to the YouTube channel, watch the videos, help support the channel. But I definitely want to take this time and this opportunity to say thank you for everyone out there all the people that gave me condolences when I announced uh, my father's passing on Facebook and Instagram. I really appreciate that. I'm not, like I said, I'm not usually one to care about that stuff. And I'm like the last person to reach out to somebody else because I'm an ass like that. And I don't know why my brain is built that way. I don't have the ability to comprehend and relate to other people. I don't know why that is. Maybe because my fucked up childhood, but I do appreciate it that all the people that did it to me, I do appreciate you, you guys reaching out. And, uh, uh, I thank you for that. And I thank you guys for listening to this show. I hope you continue to listen. I'm going to continue to put out as many shows as possible. Uh, for the next show, I'm going to be talking to Tony F corpse from postmortem superstar. And he's trust me. He's always a good conversationalist. He's a great poet, a great artist with his thoughts. We're pretty much on the same page when it comes to weird shit. So I think that'll be a good conversation. And so thank you for your time and thank you for your attention. May the gods bless you with certainty that they don't exist. And Jesus was his name. <laughs>